Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas. Today, guys, we're in the food space. I'm so excited for you to meet my guest and for you to hear all about this company called Softco the world's first single-origin food company on the podcast today is Bilal Albana. Uh, he is the CEO. It is so great to have you on the podcast. Brilliant. Thank you for having me. Um, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to, to be able to speak to your I, listeners. I know. I'm so excited. We've been trying to work this into our schedules for the last couple of weeks, and um, so glad it worked out today um, because you've really got something interesting here I can't wait to dive into. I love this whole line that you even you put on your site, let's fix the food chain. And for those of you that work in food and beverage, this is like going to be a fascinating conversation for you today. But before we get there, uh, share a little bit about your background. Were you already in the food business? Like, how did you co- talk about your career a bit before starting the company? Well, I think to, to, to get into my about food, I have to go probably pre career. So, um, my parents were Egyptian immigrants to the UK in the late 60s, early 70s. And my father, who, who was a foodie, um, start, beca- started working in restaurants or becoming became a chef to fund his education uh, and ended up purchasing an organic meat supply company in butchers. Uh, and I grew up w- with, with foodie parents who, uh, with a father who worked in the organic food business and a very young age. And this is going back a while before organic was trendy, right? So um, <laughs> when, uh, when I used to go to a friend's house or go to eat somewhere, my father would tell me, well, make sure you don't eat chicken, make sure you don't eat this. And, and it got me questioning why. So when I tell him, why can't I? He said, well, it's not good for you. I said, well, why aren't they buying the good stuff? And he said, because it's expensive. And uh, <laughs> so true. <laughs> that, that's, it. that's a problem that sat with me and probably sits with me till today is that um, one of the core problems we have is that better for you foods are afforded to those who have the financial means and not to everyone. And that forms a lot of our decision-making and how we think and how we um, take inroads into um, the, the the food world in general. Wow, I mean, what an incredible problem statement. Um, I don't know that I've heard it summed up that way before. Like the better for you foods are afforded to those that can afford it. I mean, like I don't know if I said that exactly right, but that's so true because it just seems always seems like that those foods are more expensive. And maybe we'll dive into that in just a moment. So um, you see this opportunity. You like I'll say learned about this. How did you decide to go from that to starting a business around it? So I I, uh, I took a very different route in life. So my family also has you know now they have a chain of restaurants and cafes in London and uh, and uh, being a typical um, uh, you know teen young adult wanting to rebel against you know the family and just carve my own way in life. I went into technology. So I took a complete sharp turn and I worked for Xerox um, for fifteen years. Um, worked with them in the UK. Um, looked after the developing countries. So I was managing 107 countries at one point, moved to Dubai to work on the Middle East and the UAE business. And while I was in Dubai, I have some friends which were in the UK, uh, one of which is called Colin Carter, who's uh, um, one of my co-founders. And Colin developed adult epilepsy in his early 40s. Uh, And uh, in order to balance the medication that he was taking, Colin started drinking coffee. 
Okay. Um, and he strived for a better cup of coffee. He found single origin coffee. Um, and single origin to him meant that he knew where it came from. He knew how the people growing it were being treated. And he could understand make sure that the claims that the companies were making were true because it was directed to a specific source. So Colin thought to himself, I should feed my family single origin food. Um, his search only turned up cocoa, coffee, tea, wine, and some olive oils, which meant, you know, no, no diet for three growing girls. Right. So, <laughs> nice. And that was the light bulb moment. So the light bulb um, initially wasn't mine on myself. It was Colin's. Sure. Um, and then Colin, um, came to myself and Mo, our other co-founder, said, guys, I've got this idea. I, I think there's a real gap. There's a desire to have transparency in the food chain. Um, uh, and yeah, that, that was our light bulb wow. moment. And that's how we got into the game. That's amazing. So define for our audience, I know you hit on this a, a bit there, but when you talk single origin, exactly what that means. So single origin by definition means it comes um, from a specific farm, co-op, mine, whatever the product is, you can trace back to the exact origin, um, not, not just country or city, but farm name, location, um, th that level of transparency, because then there, there's nowhere to hide, which um, happens in the food sure. industry. Sure. You know. Yeah, no doubt. And it's interesting that there's been a lot of buzz over the last couple of years, especially around this whole idea of track and trace. And so being able to look at your food product all the way back to origin. And I, uh, I know it's not the exact same, but there's so much more interest in that now, especially with some of the new food brands that are coming on the market. Um, and fascinating that you've centered your focus there. How did you guys go from, hey, I think there's a gap in the market to, hey, let's start developing products around this? Like, what did those first steps look like? So the first steps were, okay, so how do we, so alongside the, there's a gap in the market for single origin food, we also acknowledge that there's a gap in the market for good quality, affordable foods. You know, there was a bit of personal uh, agendas in there and trying to bridge these gaps, which um, whether we admit to or not, have, have molded us from childhood and from younger experiences such as myself. Um, and uh, the idea is like, okay, Guys, we, we would love to change how people eat and make people eat better. But what we know categorically, and we were under no um, false pretenses, that um, we can't change how people eat overnight. Um, so we said, okay, what are the basics that everyone eats that if we could give them a higher quality, much higher quality, affordable version of, that we would reach a lot of people and help farmers along the way? Because it's it's a threefold, you know, good for farmer good for the earth and good for the consumer model which we um, which we uh, for work in um, so we went after our, our first base products which were rice sugar and salt we, we identified those as interesting things okay we all use on a regular basis kitchen staples and if we could give you a higher quality traceable rice higher quality traceable sugar and higher quality traceable salt then we would be on our way to changing the world Wow. Baby steps, not, but nonetheless. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's truly like at the core, right? And now you guys have a number of variations on that, like the coarse Himalayan pink rock salt, the organic raw coconut sugar. I mean, wow. So, and so you decided to make these first three as your focus, which is such a different approach, right? I, I think this is so fascinating. Did you, how did you figure out sourcing and like where to get product and what would be kind of the first 
step on each of the three. So Colin also has another gift, which he, he he's, he's very endearing and loves farming as a culture. So, and we started reaching out to people and actually the, the rice was our first product. And this was a friend back in the UK who had family in Pakistan that were being, um, I don't want to say mistreated, but not treated fairly by the industry um, because rice is a heavily aggregated product with people who buy crop up front. They don't care if the farmer makes any money. They don't care if the farmer's in debt. Um, and that was our first point where we realized that single origin food is a, a way to help farmers and deliver high quality products to, to, to the consumer. So we started with the farm where we went to this contact, which was a friend of a family friend, sure. who uh, introduced us to, to these rice farmers who uh, had a great product, were being paid well below what we believe that they, they should have been paid. Um, uh, so people, so they could guarantee the sale of their crop. Um, and, you know, they were selling to aggregators like people do, where there's people don't care about the quality of the product um, and they just sell en masse for the lowest price possible. Um, so that, that was our first endeavor. And, and then one person introduced you to another farmer. Uh, it, it's, it's a massive global community of which is, is strangely intertwined. Uh, and once you get into, you know, an area where you want to focus and you speak to people, um, uh, like cream, you know, good people have a way of rising to the top or people who you should be working to totally. find where you, where you find your way to them. So that's how we've, uh, Wow. Yeah, I, I was doing my homework on you guys, and I, I love this. We work with growers who don't have a mainstream route to sell their produce and create a way for them to share their commodity with the world. We visit farms around the world to ensure they meet our criteria of quality. And once satisfied, we negotiate directly with them to bring their produce straight from the farm to the shelf. Where it, and it's, it's pretty amazing um, and a cool idea. Um, so you start to find sources at this point. How did you go from that to physical product in hand, like packaged? So, as you, you, you're quite um, professionally summed up there, so we, we, we visit the people. We make sure that they adhere to things we care about as a starting point, you know. No slave labor, no child labor, no, uh, ge no genetic modified foods, sure. no fertilizers or pesticides, you know, no, sorry, non -art no our chemical fertilizers or sure. pesticides. Um, and once we realize that they're the type of people we like to work with, then then the next part, which is what people don't see, which is a massive part of our business, is making the supply chain. So how do you get rice out of a paddy field in Pakistan, for example, like ours, um, onto you know onto into a processing uh, facility uh, close by, then onto a truck, then to the port, and then over to right. the US. <laughs> right wow it's yeah behind the scenes you know like the duck underwater where the legs are working frantically <laughs> our supply chain portion of our businesses uh, is probably the most hectic and uh, busiest part of what we do and it's it's where the expertise that we've learned allows us to do what we do because it's it's not easy but for us it's the only way to do business is to work directly with people who make the product Sure. That's amazing. Um, so you you start to sort out g getting that product from location source to over to the U.S. So how about packaging? Um, I, I think your packaging looks awesome. I love the uh, the colors, the shape, the size, all of that. I, how did you figure that out? Like, what did that look like at first? So if, if you if you went back four or five years and had a look. So we started again, 
for being um, superly uh, influenced by the single origin coffee world, we started actually in brown paper. I was going to say like paper bags or plastic. I wasn't sure yeah, yeah, not yeah. plastic, but paper. <laughs> They're now recyclable bags that are right. made to look like paper bags. So but funny. we started with brown paper bags. Um, and uh, they we found that they didn't, you know, a, a lot of, when we started, we started ourselves. We didn't have any external investors and we, none of us had come from the food industry, definitely not a CPG one. Sure. And uh, we learned the hard way. We, we got packaging, which we thought looked cool, turned out not to be super practical. Right. We, we put our sugar in a bag that didn't have a great moisture barrier, which meant that it was rock hard sometime oh. before it got to the consumer. So right. and a lot learn, of trial right? and error. You learn. A lot of trial and error and uh, you know, uh, a desire to succeed and and, and a, the, what was driving us was more important than the, the stress and the heartache and and whatever um, obstacles we met along the way, um, which is, I think, you know, when starting on such a journey, you know, I, I always say to, to the guys, do something that you have to do, not because that you want to do, because if giving up's an option, Especially in the food world, <laughs> right? It, becomes a re- it can become a reality pretty it can be easy to give up. Um, that's interesting. So you go, you, you're packaging in, in paper bags basically initially. When did it shift um, or become more progressive, or and or when did you start seeing like some like real demand, not from friends and family, but from people that were, hey, I I want to buy your product. So the the, the thing that that helped us early on is that everyone we told the story to was buying into it's awesome you're not talking we're not a niche you know i'm not trying to right. sell a, a bag of sugar for for four, ten, 10 bucks or 20 bucks right. i'm not trying to be super unique i'm trying to get a product that runs to the masses and um we found as we told the story we we weren't just going into natural independence stores there were larger chains that were being interested um and it just as we saw the progression and the demand and there was then the the, the outside stresses on making sure that product lasted longer and um, was more sturdy because it went through a distribution model and then a retailer and sat in a back, you know, larger stores in the back uh, and then was bought out and it just had to be more robust and wanted to look more professional. So as we grew and as we learned things and as we um, listened to customers, I think is one of the key things that we learned along the way. Um, there was this natural change. Um, and, and I think you know, if I think back, um, Expo West 2015, I believe, was uh, was the big realization point for us that we, we've got a you know, we've got something here. People are not just small retail natural stores, right. not just um, people who, who, who are being nice to us because we're friends and family. <laughs> right. there, there is a real opportunity because People were stopping, um, asking questions, asking for distribution. Um, we even wrote some business in it. And it just became apparent that um, if we do this right, we could achieve what we wanted, which is get the product out to the masses rather than being very niche. Wow. That's really, really cool. Um, did you have the capacity at that point to handle the orders you were getting? Or did you have to figure out a a better way of packaging so it would, it would go on a shelf, you know, in a better way for, I'll say, larger production? What did that look like? So one of the things that we uh, we decided early on, and it's a mantra that 
again as a team when we sat down and decided to do, to do this concept was we need we wanted to prepare for success and i think um not preparing for success is the downfall of many an entrepreneur especially in the cpg world because people try to um tiptoe around you know minimum quantities not big facilities just in case it doesn't work whereas your biggest danger is when you do get a spike and you can't keep up and the volumes are there opportunities as as you very well know that are missed no are doubt. opportunities that very rarely come back again that's right so we uh, we we did prepare for success we had relationships tied up which allowed us to scale we had potential uh, agreements in place that were switched on as the volume started growing um and yeah it, it just we were there you know when you got those opportunities you, you have to be ready and i think um yeah with stresses of course and with a lot of hard work in the background but we were ready to to scale when when the opportunity came around sure wow um you mentioned co-founders and i always love to ask this question uh when when there are co-founders involved did were, were, were one of you good at certain things and the other good at other things and or was there overlap or how did you guys divvy up the work or you know what did you find so colin's all heart um uh he's all farming environments he's he, he he he's the product and the, the creative spark is colin um and uh mo is very much uh financial guy you know we, we always we joke about mo the answer is no before he's heard the question so <laughs> nice. the it, it, a, we don't have money for a, that <laughs> the ability to be very cautious with how we spent our money <laughs> that's, a, that's and, a nice way uh, of saying it <laughs> yeah c- coupled with his uh inquisitive nature it, it, interesting about asking why we're doing everything made sure that we were able to bootstrap the business for as long as we were we did before we went to for uh, external financing and that really um you know so but neither of them had managed the business across with distribution model with a reseller model um sure. had very little food experience uh, you know and and that's where i came in and you know i think that there are some overlaps in skill sets um there are some similarities but i think everyone brings something uh, to the table and you know i think it's Michael Dell who said if you're the smartest person in the in the, in the room change the room you want to feel that you're that's so funny you're, you're with people who yeah. who are helping you uh, grow I'm not the smartest person in the room and I love it you know I'm learning something that's right like right now um that's very very cool I love that how have you built the brand um how have you make built awareness of what you guys offer in the market has it been word of mouth has it been just having retail access has it been marketing what's that look like so it's interesting and one of the things I probably should have mentioned beforehand is that we started life as the real, the real co. co right I saw that and uh yeah we, we were the real co and we 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 struggled with very limited marketing dollars to tell people okay so we're the real co so the question was what do you <laughs> we're the real co origin food what what is single origin food <laughs> right. we just found there were so many levels of marketing that we said okay the real co could be anything you know why don't we drill down reduce a layer of marketing and tell people what it is we actually do so the single origin food co was born um the majority of stuff we did to get the word out there again in the earlier days was in store demos um expos you know food exhibitions 
few farmers markets. And then, yeah, word of mouth is great. A bit of social media, again, without big spend behind us to, to really make a noise. It was just people telling people and people trying our product and retailers liking the concept, helping us support growth. And there's been um, a lot of advocates from a retail perspective that have helped us grow. Um, and it's uh, it, the, to, to date, you know, uh, I the thing that makes me you know, smile is that with very little marketing spend to date, we've achieved what we achieved. That's amazing. Really, when we get to the point where we could throw some strong dollars behind this, um, the only way is up, you know. That's so cool. Um, speaking of that great transition, uh, looking ahead the next six to 12 months as you guys are um, growing the business, um, what does that look like? Any any specific keys to success in terms of priorities? So we, we've launched our vegan unhoney uh, beginning of this year. Okay, and what's unhoney? So unhoney is our um, first product, which is aimed is, is a solution-based product to fix what we believe is an environmental concern, which is the uh, eradication of uh, the the honeybee bees. population. The honey right? bee. I read on your website there's been a sixty percent decline in honeybee populations. Yeah. Crazy. There's there's many reasons for that, but you know, um, so unhoney is is our vegan alternative to honeys, but it is our first solution based product which is aimed at fixing this issue. Um, and uh, you know, people ask, you know, is honey, why is honey not vegan? And I think industrial honey production is no different to any other industrial production. You know, if you look at factory farms for meat, chicken, uh, eggs, dairy, the shocking news you hear is not unique to, right. um, to you go into any industry. So you look at the honey industry and it's no different. Um, there's a great documentary on Netflix called the, uh, um, rotten and they have an episode about honey oh, wow. if you okay watch that it's a real eye-opener into you know you get into some detail whether it involves clipping the queen bee's oh. wings so she can't leave the hive and you know, artificial insemination and killing bees rather than keeping them over winter and all sorts so it, it's it a grim sad you know, it is so it is sad. a very sad uh, so providing an alternative which allowed um people who cared one about the environment, two about um, the the bees, uh, or, or both come simultane- simultaneously. So they're both just as important. Um, was this was our solution-led product, which wow. addresses uh, those issues, and it only became possible because of our single-origin model. So when we're looking on how to help the farmers grow, we look at the farmers. So the the people who produce our sugar, we said to them, well. We, we understand we want to solve this problem is there anything you're doing that could so we found that in the processing of sugar there's a before they get to the sugar powdery sugar stage there is a syrup there is a nectar that they use that we were able to you know spend some time doing r&d on to get it to the texture and close to the texture and taste of honey which is where our unhoney products were born from got it wow amazing um and then, Going back to your question. Yeah, I was going to, I mean, we, totally, I'm so intrigued by the honeybee. So our next um, 12 months yeah. sees us launch our um, Unhoney Plus. Oh, which is, what does that mean? Will be, um, it, will, it will encompass two things. Our first solution-based product is Unhoney, focused with our first um, nutritionally enhanced product, which will be the Unhoney Plus. So Plus is our nutritional enhancement, Unhoney 
is our alternative product. Putting them together, it's Unhoney Plus, will be the flower pollen infused un, uh, vegan honey, which will give uh, health benefits which surpass natural honey. Um, and that's uh, we're working with a, a flower pollen producer um, in North America, the only one that produces raw organic flower pollen. And um, they um, uh, will be infusing it into the product and getting all the health benefits that are in the pollen into the food. That's great. Oh, I love that. Um, I always love to ask our guests uh, as we get towards the end here, you know, what would be two or three of the biggest lessons learned you'd share with our audience as an entrepreneur building a brand, a new business? We've got a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to our podcast. Um, you know, what would be two or three pieces of your advice? Um, I think the first one I kind of hinted towards is be passionate about what you do. A great business idea is good, but if you're heading into CPG specifically, try and find something something that you love because it's not you know you you may get lucky and it might be all smooth sailing but more likely than not it's going to be tough and you're going to have to you know have a cause that drives you over and above um something you know, doing something just that's just because it's cool sure um my second thing is surround yourself with good people whether it's co-founders or people who have skill sets which you're missing, uh, mentors. Um, th there are a lot of good people out there. Um, um, immerse yourself in, in the knowledge of people around you. Lean on people. Um, you, you know, ask for help. Don't, you know, don't think that you're, you, you're, you know it all or have to do it all on your own. There are good people out there who are willing to help and you know, we've relied on people along the way and um, reap the benefits of it in the long run because no one knows everything sure as, as towards earlier I love that. Such great advice. Um, and I, I was going to close the interview, but I got to ask you, what is the salt slab? You got to tell our audience what this, this, the salt slab looks incredible. I got to make sure we hit on that and then we're going to go. <laughs> so the, the salt slab is a 12 pound piece of Himalayan rock salt oh, that you can yes. put in your oven or on your grill, oh. and it gives enhan enhances the flavor of whatever you put on it. You get a stick of portobello mushroom, uh, zucchini, uh, aubergine, uh, uh, um, eggplant, sorry, for, for, for the listeners <laughs> who are in, in North America. Sure. Um, and it imparts a lovely salty flavor into everything you do. You could put it in the fridge and serve oh. ice cream, Caramel ice cream on it, so caramel oh every my time gosh. you take a bite. It's a, it's a fun piece of, um, uh, you know, uh, kitchen paraphernalia <laughs> uh, for, so cool. for, for people who are foodies. Yeah. Who, uh, so yeah, we we see it a lot as a gifting item, but. You know, and some people swear by it and keep it on their grill or in their oven all the time. Wow, that's awesome. Um, thank you for hitting that before we go. Um, hey, share with our audience where they can find you, buy your products and, and whatnot. So you can find our vegan honeys now in uh, Sprouts Nationwide, in Whole Foods, uh, in Southern California, the Northeast, the Northwest, um, the Mid-Atlantic regions. Um, you can get uh, our salt products in HEB in Texas. Um, you can get it online at PlantX. Um, and yeah, just uh, most of your small natural retail stores will have our products. Safeway Albertsons, 
across the country carry our salt uh, products. Um, a, a bit of everywhere. Go to our, our website's being updated and we'll have a very good store locator on it soon where you'll be able to just put in which product you're looking for and it will tell you what's the clearest, closest place to where you are. That's so great. So great. And um, again, I love on your site how you even talk about some of the environmental and um, other pressures that really power the whole idea of single origin food. Bilal, it's been so great having you on the podcast. I hope you'll stay in touch and come back on down the road as you guys continue to grow. So so exciting to see your business and the focus around kind of a big idea. Um, but thanks for being on today. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.